Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is January the 22nd, 2020. This is episode 2586 of the Survival Podcast. It's Wednesday, and it's time for Interview Day. And this is one of my favorite types of interviews. This is an interview with a member of our community, somebody that's been a listener of this show for many years, who also took a lot of things we talk about, a lot of things I gathered elsewhere, went out and built an amazing life with it. So it's not only someone from our community, but someone that's accomplished something really cool in our community based on the principles we talk about and has helped other people in the community with doing just that. Uh, this is Bo Brotherton, who's who I'm going to be bringing on in just a minute. Uh, you might have heard me speak about him here and there throughout the years, uh, especially the last couple of years, as he's built the Shed to House group on Facebook, an amazing group that, that, that really came alive really, really fast. It's only been a few years, 60,000-plus members. Um, started out as a little YouTube channel, et cetera, and they took an 800-square-foot shed, and they turned it into a really great house on raw land. And they live not debt-free but close to debt-free now. And they have an amazing life and a lifestyle business to go along with it. And it is just really caught on. And lots of people are pursuing the same type of dream. And again, this is a small house, big land show is what we're calling this today. So they've got a pretty good sized hunk of land and a small house, but not a tiny house. You know, they're not trying to live in a 10 by 10 shed. 800 square feet is pretty reasonable space to live in. I don't know that I would do it with a family of six, but they're making it work. And we'll have Bo on to talk about all of that and more in just a bit. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Jeff has been a sponsor of this show for a very long time, like over nine years, maybe ten at this point. Um, you know, if you care about your health, then you need to think about like the stuff that you put into your body the most. And the number one thing that you should be putting in your body is good quality water. It, it really is. It's just something that we, you know, we all need water to survive. It's one of our primary survival needs. Have you ever, you know, heard your TV or radio tell you, "Hey, there's a boil water advisory right now." Guess what? Whenever that happens, whatever the reason is for it, it was already in the water supply before they told you about it. So that means you're already drinking the water with the thing in it that you're not supposed to be drinking, and that's that's in the, you know, the best case scenario. There's things in your water you really don't need to be drinking, and if we ever are long-term grid down, you want to be able to make your water safe to drink as easily as possible. The best bang for the buck I know of in the world of water filtration is the Berkey Systems, and the guy you should get them from, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason, because he's the Berkey guy. Well, I get it from the non-Berkey guy, and get it from the Berkey guy. His website, because he doesn't know anything about marketing, directive21.com. Next up today, I um, want to talk to you about sponsor day number two. That would be ButcherBox. ButcherBox is one of our newer sponsors. We've been with us over two years now. Loyal sponsor, guys. They've sponsored like the, the workshops with food. and I mean, they've always been good to you guys. Uh, they've always been good about uh, helping guys get the special deals, uh, working with people that maybe missed out on them sometimes. They're just great, and the quality of the food is excellent. As I've said before about ButcherBox, the biggest testament I can give them is I accept payment for their sponsorship in meat. That's right. They send me a great big box of meat every month, and they can do that for you too. 
to pastured pork, pastured poultry, grass-fed beef, and more. You'll find it all at ButcherBox.com. And remember, MSB members, you guys get a discount, and everybody gets a discount at ButcherBox. Just the MSB, you guys get a permanent discount. Uh, you want to use the banner on the website to sign up with ButcherBox. I, re I re re genuinely uh, usually do not care. If you use the banners on the site, they're there so you can find the sponsors and all. But you just go to their sites and, and, and do business with them. But if you're going to do business with ButcherBox, especially if you're not MSB, you might as well get your, your 10 bucks off your first order and use the banner. All right, with that, let's go ahead and uh, dig on into today's topic, which, again, is small house living on big land with Bo Brotherton. Um, these guys have done some amazing things. They're the creator of a YouTube channel and podcast called Better Together Life. Uh, and what really blew them up was the creation of a Facebook group called Shed to House, which, again, has over 60,000 members. And with that, hey, Bo, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, th thanks, Jack. I appreciate you having me on. Man, I'm glad to have you on. I was actually like, when you submitted your guest application, like, well, it's about frickin' time. <laughs> um, you know, you've been here. I've, I've kind of paid attention to what you're doing, and I watched your... Uh, You know, your, your, your humble beginnings with your YouTube channel, and then as you kind of went into the Shed the House thing and set up the Facebook group, you kind of blew up in a really good way. Um, so we're going to have you on today to talk about that concept. I think we decided to call this uh, Small House, Big Land Living, and uh, I think it's a great topic. But before we dig into that, man, tell people, like, who the hell's Bo? Like, let's go back to, like, you're, you're chilling out in study hall, I don't know, checking some girl out on the other side of the classroom or something, trying to figure out what you want to do with your life and... And, and how does that get you to where you are now? Like, what would you do professionally in between and what have you? You bet. Yeah. Uh, I would say it all kind of starts with in high school. So my parents, pretty much all while I was growing up, uh, my parents were both self-employed. Okay. Um, yeah, my dad owned uh, a pawn shop and my mom did hair and nails in an outside pool room. Which, uh, which is bizarre because now I, as I was thinking, uh, about this, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if that pool room actually, because I eventually lived in that little pool room and I think it started this whole tiny house thing. Uh, but, but in, in high school, I remember they had like the one useful thing that our high school had was they had a financial advisor come and, you know, talked about, you know, stocks and investing and, and, The the biggest thing that I grasped from that guy was he, him telling us how if you start in high school, you can retire early. Uh, you can retire young. And honestly, I didn't really do exactly everything that he said because I kind of went a, a, a bizarre route. But that was the thing that really uh, that I took was that I knew that I was not made for a nine to five job. And and Jack, I mean, so. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I think I heard you say this once. That wasn't there once where you said that people ask you, or, or they or they comment to you about all they want to do is just make just enough money to live in a shack on land and yeah. just have a simple life. Yeah, it was. I think it was not quite exactly that way, but it was. Like, it was one of my buddies that really like said it to the point where I was just done hearing it. Uh, <laughs> he, he basically explained the life that he wanted, and I'm like. So you're from Pickering, Louisiana, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, yeah. I said, how many people in Pickering live exactly the way you just described? He's like, 90% of them. I'm like, then what's stopping you? Basically, exactly. he wanted to live like a broke redneck, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, on a little bit of land in the woods and go fishing and hunting every day. And I'm like, you come from a place where everybody does that. 
and you make more money than I guarantee you anybody in Pickering that has a job, right? Maybe there's somebody mm -hmm. there that's an entrepreneur or something, but other than that, like, you're like, you would, if you went back home, you'd be the one of the wealthiest people there, but you can't pull off what your broke ass cousins do every day. And he just had like a blank stare. Like, cause he, he was waiting for sympathy and you know me, you don't, you don't get a lot of sympathy at the Spearco household. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's like, whenever you said that, cause I, I really have had that same, you know, view, not to say that I would want to be, you know, living in a shack and like completely broke. Uh, but it was the realization that. I wanted a simple life. That's really, I, I wanted to be able to, uh, to, to be debt free. Really, that's where it all came from is that, you know, uh, my, my parents had a little bit of issues with, you know, debt as I was growing up. And so I don't want to go into details about their business, but, but it really hit me hard about debt. And so I just tried from high school all the way until, you know, Uh, 2015 to work business after business, just trying to make this dream work. And uh, so, so basically, fast forward 15 years later, um, this was I think in 2015 or so. So I was married, had two kids, and I was a video producer. That's what I did in college. Is um, is I, I learned video production. So I was like a a one man band uh, video producer, and. And so I was working at my church and this was, no, this was in 2013. Um, so I was up in Dallas at my parent, at, my, at Kelly's parents, Kelly's my wife, uh, her, uh, house in Dallas for Christmas. And my mother-in-law gave my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, a, a mother earth news magazine. And he didn't really care about it, uh, at all. But I started thumbing through it, and there was this article on there about a sustainable homestead. Um, and I had never even thought about that. I mean, Jack, I was a as video geek, like nerd, loving Hollywood, uh, just you know, wanting to to be a, a video producer here in Texas. Uh, that's that's was the only thing that that I wanted to do. And somehow this one Mother Mother Earth News article just turned me into the the uh the hippie loving like organic uh thriving everything it was really bizarre i i can't really explain it um so so that was in 2013 and then in 2015 which is this is before i even found you um i don't know if you remember like i don't know 2015 there was something to do with blood moons i'm really embarrassed about it man but i thought the world was ending <laughs> um, okay and and All so right. i went i know i know I, i'm i'm i am embarrassed about it because it was before i met you and then i've yeah. learned a lot since then uh it all worked out in the end but but i was living down in houston and uh i i bought i kind of stretched myself a little bit thin And I bought seven acres in central Texas kind of as like a bug out location, which was just I would never recommend anybody do that. Uh, but but it worked out. But the thing is, and what I realized after listening to you is whenever we were living in Houston, uh, my wife, you know, at that time, she's a stay at home mom. I was working at a church, so we didn't have a ton of money, but uh, enough to be able to buy the property and. I have always been the person, uh, and I never could explain it, but I've always been the person that never 
never said I cannot do something. I always asked, how can I do it? And I would get pen and paper and I would just start writing down as many ideas. And I, you know, since, you know, uh, listening to you, I learned, oh, there's a, there's a learning computer in between my ears, like you say, that, that as long as you ask the question, it will compute all the numbers and spit out tons and tons of answers for you. Um, and so that's really what it was is I asked myself, how can I afford to make the transition from suburbia? Because I couldn't get a loan to be able to build a house, um, uh, on my property because in, unless I actually so, cause I was, I was, uh, I was, I think, no, I'm sorry. In 2015, I was already self-employed. So I'd already quit my church then. So, um, so I was self-employed. I wouldn't, I wasn't able to get a loan. And so I really started to, uh, ask that, I, that question of how can I afford to get onto the property? And I stumbled upon the idea of this shed to house, uh, thing. And I, I, I don't want to be cocky, but I guess I kind of, I really jump started the shed to house movement on Facebook and on YouTube. There oh, you was a little, you definitely made it a thing. I think that yeah. people, it was really like a subset of the tiny house movement, but nobody called it what it was. Yeah. And you, you hit the, the home run of home runs with finding a new niche in a world where everybody's like, there's no new niches. There's nothing new. Everything's been done. It was easy when you started it. Boom. You, you coin that term. And I watched that group go from like five people to like 500 to like 5,000 and just keep going. And I think it's because people want the freedom that you, you know, you guys are talking about. And I think for a lot of people, the concept of tiny house has been tainted by too many reality TV shows of morons. And so like people are like, "I, I don't know that I can do this whole tiny house thing. I'm not living with my children and dogs in 90 square feet. And, you know, <laughs> and I'm going to spend $200,000 to build a RV that has a cable roof, basically. And then, like, what you guys hit with that concept, which was something people did do. I had somebody on about doing that exact thing, but it was, again, called Tiny House um, five years ago. When you hit that phrase, I think it hit people in the head with, oh, I, it, it did the one thing you got to do to get people on board. I can do this. It made them think that. And yeah, it just blew up. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I will be completely honest. I had an idea. Well, really, it kind of started with keywords. It started over on YouTube. The fact that, um, finding that niche is that the people on YouTube was, um, I mean, they just made bad videos, but there was a lot of views on it. Uh, <laughs> So I knew that there was something there. I don't know why it was so like bad quality. And then I started the Facebook group just to be able to share my own videos because at that time I had started my YouTube channel. And really it, I am still surprised at how well it took off over on Facebook. And it is just an amazing, I mean, you say it all the time about what a Facebook group can do. It's, it's amazing the organic conversations and everybody helps everybody over there. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, and I mean, to give people a perspective on it, if they haven't seen the group yet, 64,000 members. 64,000 members in a group. And it, it's not that old of a group, is it? 
No, no. I think we started in 2017. That sounds about right. Yeah, that seems it seems like somewhere in there because I know I think you were here for one of my workshops and I don't think you had started it yet, and that wasn't that long ago. So that's yeah, that's pretty impressive. So let's get into like what you're doing now. So you guys decide you want a house. You, you look at the shed, the house concept. You pick out a shed um, somewhere in the neighborhood. I think of around 800 square feet. And decide you're going to do this, and that sounds kind of cool. And I listen, I hear 800 square feet. I think that's that's smaller than my home. Let's be honest, it's smaller than my garage. But okay, I could see this working. And then to find out, you've got four kids. That's six people in 800 square feet. That's about 125 square feet a piece, which is about as much space as I have in my office. Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would. I'll be honest and say that most people would probably think that we're crazy having four kids, period. So <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't going to say anything, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's nuts. And I will be honest. We started this process whenever we had three kids and okay. we had already put it out there that we were going to do it. And then our, uh, our final child, Lord willing, uh, <laughs> was a surprise. Okay. <laughs> my, my daughter and, But we'd already said we were going to do it. I already had the Facebook group. And so uh, my wife, Kelly, and I, we just we made the commitment that, hey, instead of this being like what a lot of people say on YouTube is like, hey, I'm following your journey. We came up with the word of, hey, let this just be our adventure home. Yeah. And that really gave us a lot of confidence to know, hey, we, we don't have to live in this thing forever. Um We have done some function stacking in terms of finding a way to monetize it. So there's a little bit there. Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm not as good of a marketer as you are, but I mean, I, 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 I can hold on just a little bit to keep things, to keep the lights on. That's for sure. Um, but, but the thing is, is we, we designed the house so that like if we have nine foot ceilings, which for a shed is, is a little bit taller. And, um, so, We, we have this really cool, like shiplap white ceiling up there that it just makes the place feel really big. Chip and Joanna and, Gaines would approve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's like, uh, yeah. there's like 10% of the audience laughing and the other 90s going, who, don't worry about it. If, if I have to explain it, you won't get the joke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's my, that's what my wife says. She, she designed the entire house and I just did my best to either hire the people to do it so that I didn't screw it up or I did the work myself. And um, so so it just feels big. Anytime that people come in, they say, wow, you think of like, you know, a small or tiny house. But then once we're in it, it's so much bigger than it feels. Uh, now, I will say, and I'll be honest, that we have the kids are up in sleeping lofts. So, you know, that's the that's the weirdest thing. We're going to have to figure it out. And in terms of our kids, Whenever they grow up, uh, the thing that I love so much is now that we had this experience that, you know, if my if my boys, whenever they're 14 years old and they want to build their own shed, the house and connect it with a porch, I'd be like, heck, yeah, I'll 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 match 100 percent for what you save and let's build your own house as a teenager. So um, I just I just think that would be a really cool homeschool. Well, project I was just going to say, not, not only that, but like as they do get older, like you've kind of already like. They're growing up learning how to do stuff. 
So mm-hmm. I was like, Dad, I want another room. You know what, son? Looks like a great place for you to put your little your little kid shed over there. Let's get you a hammer yep. and a saw. Let's get to work and let's build a compound. You know, so I mean, because you're training them, right? They they're learning how to do this stuff. The youngest one, obviously, is not swinging hammers yet, but you know, I've seen your videos and stuff. They're learning by watching what you're doing, and they're growing up with that skill set. I mean, we waste kids. For 13 years of their lives, a lot of it is wasted in the public school system. A lot of what we make them stress out over and freak out over and take tests about, the day they walk out of there is the last time they ever look at it. We can lie to ourselves and say it's not true, but it is. Imagine if we taught kids how to build a freaking house in school so that every human being walking around in North America was able to build at least a small, reasonable home for themselves. Now, I can tell you the state's not going to do that because they have no interest in that kind of individual liberty and freedom. But, I mean, that's what you're doing for your kids. You're teaching them how to do all of these things. Exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the plan. Um, I, I believe everything you just said. Yeah. So, you know, when somebody does this, people look at it from a distance and go, wow, man, that's great. I want to do that, too. And they tend to focus only on all the stuff that worked out or the fact that in the end everything basically worked out. That is never how that works. There is always shit that goes wrong. So what would you say in doing all of this was your biggest mistake? Oh, man, it, it definitely was not being patient enough in the beginning. And I, there's not a lot I can do. Uh, I should have done my foundation differently. Um, so... If I, if I had to do it over again, and that's, I, I made a video on it on the 10 mistakes to avoid when converting a shed to house. And that was the number one, because that's the number one uh, mistake that I made is I should have just said, Hey, yes, it's a shed to house. Yes, you know, we, this needs to be, you know, cheaper than a normal house, but let me at least do the, uh, the basics of doing a real concrete pier and beam at least, you know, four to six feet into the ground. We're in Texas, so we're not worried about like, you know, uh, uh, we're in central Texas. We're not worried about a huge frost line. It's not like that big of a deal, but mm-hmm. still should have done pier and beam. So what we did is we took the advice of the, the company that we got the, um, the, the building from the shell. Uh, and, and, and I agreed that he, he said that we should have done that. So basically I have about a four inch. Well, let me see. I have a contractor that came and brought some fill dirt in. And so they raise it up. So when, we're never going to worry about flooding here because we're so high. Um, and then on top of that fill dirt pad, then they brought four inches of crushed limestone. And on top of that, that's when they put the, the concrete cinder blocks and then they set the house on that. Okay. So it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, that's why, you know, I want to be able to share that it was a, it was a mess up on my part. Um, at the same time, there's tons of these things that everybody just puts blocks on dirt. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm a little bit more of a perfectionist and I'm like, you know, I should have done that better. Yeah. What is your thoughts about, and I know it's difficult in Texas, unfortunately, with the number of swirling clouds of death we get every year. What is your thoughts about, though, you know, putting in basically a basement and then setting one of these things on top of it? That would have been cool. I, you te- I mean, you might know more than, than I've, I've lived in Texas my whole life. So I've always, whenever you have mentioned that, I would love 
to, for, to see someone do that in Texas. Can you even have a basement in Texas? Like, why are there not basements I, in Texas? I, I have been given various answers to that, and I don't believe any of them. Um, I've been told okay. repeatedly it's because of all the clay and the shifting and all the problems we have with foundations. And I'm like, have you been to the Midwest to hope damn places clay? Uh, I've been told it's about water table, and I'm like, that's I, – I don't believe any of the excuses. But I, I, then, I, then I look back and I go like, well, there, there has to be something to it because there are a few, but there's very, very few. And if you can think of a state where a basement would be a good idea, if it's you know practical, it's us. Because, mm -hmm. number one, you'd have a place that's always cool in the, the baking heat of summer – Two, you double the square footage of your home, even if you don't finish it right away. It's always there. And three, when the giant swirling cloud of death comes, you and the kids and the dogs can go down there. And if your house goes away, you're okay. And so I don't, I don't get it. But I mean, I, I, taking Texas out of the equation, like just from what you know of sheds and stuff, like because I've always been like, it seems like a great idea, but you know, we got to have like I beams for reinforcement or something, because like. The house I had in Pennsylvania that had a basement, it was unfinished. And when you went in there, you could see huge steel I-beams that went across the full duration of the floor for structural support. So, you know, that I, I don't know what that would cost. It could end up costing more than the damn shed shell itself. But it just seems like if it was doable, you know, let's say you did yours, you got 800 square feet. Well, now what you really have on the roof is 1,600. And... You lived in your house as you progressed through it, which also you might find to be some stress and mistake in, in, in your build. But, you know, once the top's done, you take your time finishing out a basement. People do that. Like most new houses built in the Northeast where they have basements, the basement's never finished when you buy the house. It's kind of like, here it is, here's your canvas, and now you can do whatever you want to with it. Yeah, it would be awesome. And, and, um, So I would love to see it. And to, to answer your point about the, you know, swirling cloud of death, <laughs> uh, I will be honest. You know, my wife, it's on our plan to get a storm shelter. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it won't be underneath the house, but, you know, somewhere where we can go out the door really fast. Um, the, the research that I've done, and I, I started researching this back in 2013, is that these buildings can hold up to 150-mile-an-hour winds, um, And they basically, everybody would tell me, hey, if a tornado touches down on your house, you're, you're really in trouble no matter what you're living in, you know. As, oh, unless, no doubt. It, no yeah. doubt. I, I'm not, like, I'm not equating what you're living into like a single wide trailer because it's not structurally. I, I have the same concern. I would like a freaking basement here so that I can get away from swirling clouds of death because even though I have a classically, you know, built, site-built home, Yeah, you know, an F3 hits a direct hit. I've seen, you live here, I live here, you know. You've seen the results of what happens. There was one that hit near my neighborhood where I lived down in Arlington back, oh, 15 years ago. And it, it almost looked like God hated some people and liked others because it was like four houses in a row that were just gone. And then, like, the next house had, like, a couple shingles missing. And then the next house had, like, you know, uh, a window cracked. And then the next house was gone. Like it was touching down and picking back up. And if, if you happen to be at the bottom of that thing and you're home, I mean, you can say all you want about safe zones and all, but people always say whenever we have bad weather here, well, I'm sure you guys are prepped. Well, yes, yeah, best we can, but tornadoes are one of those things like, you know, you just got to accept the fact that just like you get hit by a gravel truck, you could 
get hit by a tornado. But, man, I would love to see someone solve that issue for Texas. Though I think you're right with a shelter, like it's a lot less expensive to, to do what they, they build a Frady hole, basically, than it is to put in a basement. But I just, I've always thought that, like, if I was going to do a small house, like, that would be a way to, like, double the footage. But I don't know what the logistics cost, et cetera, is. Well, it would be rad. Or even if you even had a bigger storm shelter directly underneath one of these, because mm -hmm. I think it would be easy just to do a little, a little trap door under a rug or something. Um, a half I, basement, you know? Like, the house yeah. I grew up in in Pennsylvania had a half basement. So the house itself was... Honestly, the downstairs was probably not much bigger than what you got, but then about half of it had a cellar. The other half didn't. So, I mean, there's more than one way to do it, but let's move on from there because <laughs> this, this is a topic that both of us think is cool and neither one of us knows the answer to. Um, you, were, you, you kind of covered this a little bit already, but, I mean, you really, really, really want to be debt-free. What, what is that about for you and your family? You bet. It, um, it really is just freedom. You know, uh, you know, I, I do believe that the borrower is slave to the lender. I'm like you. Uh, I started, you know, this whole financial freedom, debt freedom, uh, with Dave Ramsey. Uh, I, you know, I, I do think he's the best in terms of those beginning ones. Maybe not the best as, you know, as you get, uh, you know, further along. Uh, but, but that was it. Like whenever my wife and I first got married, I brought in $30,000 of debt. Uh, to the marriage. She had zero debt. And so I really, it really hit me hard. The fact that I brought that burden into a, a new marriage and we somehow, you know, uh, she, she got on board and we were able to pay that $30,000 off right whenever I started my video production business. So I was, you know, making what a new business would make, which is basically nothing. And she was only making She was working at a church also only making 30 grand a year. And we were able to pay off with me getting some, some early video gigs, $30,000 in 18 months. So we, we were debt free completely at one time. Uh, we were living in an apartment and then we ended up, uh, selling, I'm sorry, then we ended up buying a house. And then it just hit me. I'm like, Oh man, I don't. Even just making the mortgage, I know that it's still like if there's any good debt, it's having a mortgage. And it actually, it helped fund uh, our move because it's still a good purchase as real estate. But now that we're here and the fact that we are living in a shed, basically, it just makes so much sense for us to be completely debt free and mortgage free because what what that would allow us to do is like you said about the whole compound thing, you know, I have plans that I want to have a couple of Airbnbs, uh, a couple of different, you know, shed the houses here, you know, maybe an Airstream or something. Just, I, I want to be able to have the freedom to do what I want with this property and not have to always rely on, you know, the, the 30 year mortgage. And that's just me. That's, that's my view. That's my, you know, personality and baggage that I bring into it. That, uh, I still think that a, a mortgage is, is the best debt that you could have. And like you say, in terms of like a business debt, it's, it's not bad. It's just how I process the weight of debt. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Like I prefer to be debt free in all things. Again, real estate is probably the one that's the least bad. And then with business, it depends. 
because there are certain businesses and certain sectors, specifically with my experience with agriculture at this point, that you are much better off economically by using debt to do things than you are by using your own money because things that cost a lot of money are not expensable when you pay for them out of your own capital. Um, you then have to depreciate them over 30 or more years, which is ridiculous. That's um, nuts. It That's is. So well, tough. it is. So, like, let's say I have a farm, right, and I need to put in a whole bunch of trees. That would be an example of it's not quite that bad, but it's still terrible. So I don't have, a let's say, a harvest off those trees for five years because they're a fruit I'm putting an orchard in. I can't deduct in a single piece of the expense of installing that orchard until I sell the first piece of fruit off of one of the trees because I have not yet realized revenue off of it. Or I can take the whole thing as a land improvement, and then I can depreciate it over 30 years. I get those two choices. Or I can borrow the money, <laughs> keep my capital, and write almost everything off as I'm servicing debt. So yeah. in that instance, like, as my, you know me, I am the, the, the hammer on debt. But, geez, like, okay, well, I – and then, like, it's one of those industries where, like, Assuming you have the right property and all, like they will throw the money at you. It's not even hard to get it. So, okay, fine. I'll take the money and I'll spend your money. And, you know, as long as you manage that correctly, it's the right financial decision. But that is, that is definitely an exception. That is not the rule. But I'm sure there's other, I don't have exposure to other industries that are quite like that. Uh, because most of the businesses I've been involved with are more of a technology-type situation, so you're not having very large capital outlays on infrastructure. But it seems that anything that has large outlays on infrastructure real estate, and I guess you know, to that point, like all of our offices have always been leased for that very reason. Like It made no sense to buy a piece of property um, if you're running a recruiting firm with 50 recruiters. That just, it, didn't, it didn't pass the balance sheet test at all. Uh, but that's, again, that's... For the average person like you're talking about, that has no bearing on their life. Like debt on a credit card is just means MasterCard owns you. Yep. And and you know, I think you you've said it once whenever you and Dorothy were paying off one of your cars, uh, uh like you were so close to that uh that goal that you're like, Oh crap, I gotta yes, we have to pay it off. Yeah, we were like uh, we owed three grand on the truck and we had plenty of money to pay it off. And she got mad. And I, what I said to her is, I said, if, if we had if we had paid the truck off yesterday, and 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 Dodge sent us a letter, and said that we could borrow three thousand dollars against the truck and pay it off over the next year, would we take the loan? She went, well, no, that's stupid. I said, well, what's the difference? And she got that look mm -hmm. that women get when they know they're wrong but they don't want to admit it, and they get madder and madder and madder. And then she finally said something that started with F and ended sounded like truck, and I'll do it. <laughs> so. Yeah. 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 You know, because when you look at it that way, yeah, like why, like, would you borrow money against this thing if you didn't know any money on it right now? No. Do you have the money to pay it off? Yes. Okay. By paying it off, are you going to have to, like, go out and bum money on the street corner to feed your kids tonight? No. Okay. Pay it off, right? I mean, that's, it's that simple, rational case. So, yeah, I think, and then when you owe nobody anything, it's amazing how free you feel, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, totally. And so, and I, and I would want to be honest that we're not there yet, but so the, we're, we're about to pay off, uh, cause whenever we moved, uh, we, we had one car and we needed a second car cause I was going back and forth from, uh, our property to Dallas where we were. And so we needed another car and I, I kind of called it a bridge loan. So we're about to pay off the car, uh, hopefully next month. 
And then by the end of 2021, we have an owner finance loan on our property. We will be completely debt free. So that's really where we are is it's so close that we just, we're just going to hit it hard and just be like, Hey, we're just going to do it. Um, and just knock that out because in the end, if would we borrow money on the property if we were offered it? And of course, uh, no, for, for us, yeah, we wouldn't. No, the only way you would do that is if you had, a really good like see that's back to it depends right so like let's say somebody said well I'll let you I had no no debt on a property and I could borrow forty grand against it but I could take that forty grand and I could invest it in the property to where I'm going to add ninety thousand dollars worth of equity equity to the property I'm not saying I will do that but I'll consider it I might do that but if I'm going to borrow it just to have it and then I'm just going to leave the property alone and I'm going to use it till I don't know go to Disneyland or something no I'm not going to do that that's that's it's, you know it's 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 just an interesting way to like start asking those questions so that you make more informed decisions. But uh, you guys are there now. Your 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 debt is low compared to the average American family, especially with four kids, because um, usually people have to borrow money to have the second one. Uh, so <laughs> so that's good. Um, but you guys now you have four kids, you had one along the way with all this. You had to make this big giant move, and I know there was a lot of good when I made a move out to the country, but it comes with some. Trade-offs. So were there any transitional problems, any issues with making that move with you or your family or all of the above? Well, yeah, it was, uh, it was not the easiest transition. You know, it was a, it was a rough at, there was, we planned to sell our house and then move up and live with in-laws. Jack, you could imagine what that would be. No, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, we were thinking that it would be like maybe two, three months max. Um, it was, it was six months that we were living up in North Dallas. It was, uh, fair, Fairview, uh, up in McKinney. So we were, that's where we were, uh, in living with Kelly's parents' house. And so that's three and a half hours from our property. So I was basically a absent father for a lot of the six months going back and forth, trying to work with contractors here. And, you know, uh, to build this place and to get it ready. And so it was rough. Uh, on top of that, just to try to sell our suburban home, we first listed it right dear, right before, uh, Hurricane Harvey. And, and so it was just the, the, the real estate market down there was very, very bizarre at that time because, you know, we sold our house twice. Uh, in, uh, at the end of that summer during Harvey and both times we didn't make it to closing. Actually, Jack, I remember this. Hmm. So it, this was, this was at, uh, the first workshop that I was at at your place. Uh, I remember I was talking to Josh, uh, you know, Josh, he's, he has the new tinkering, uh, DIY group. Yeah. He's a buddy of mine. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he I, I came in one time and he was like, dude, why are you looking so bummed? Because I was telling everybody, I'm selling my house. We're getting it inspected right now. Yeah. Uh, my, my wife is at home with our four kids getting our house ready to be inspected. And and I found out that they walked out and because there was some repairs that they didn't want to deal with. And they did not want to even negotiate through the repairs. It was ridiculous. And this was the second time that we had listed it. So we were we were just distraught. And And I remember, so we took the house off the market back then. Uh, and we, it really was a, a big deal because I realized that I was not content 
with where I was. I was trying to run away from suburbia to be able to be on my property and to be alone, uh, you know, just to get away from the whole suburban, I call it the hells of suburbia, uh, everything with that. But then it was something that you say all the time that if you're trying to, to have this exodus, um, to, to this, you know, rural, uh, land living type of homesteading thing, that if you're having baggage, if you have junk that's in your life, you're just going to bring that with you. Um, so it was really a good thing that we could not sell our house uh, after Hurricane Harvey because then that allowed me to really be content and just be happy with every with no matter where I was. And then we were able to put it back on the – actually, we never put it back on the market. We had a for sale sign next to our – house and there was an old couple that was just walking up and down our street and they mm-hmm. saw that and they contacted the realtor saying hey is this house for sale our daughter lives in this neighborhood we're in california we want to buy this house and they offered us cash more than we had it listed the previous time during Hur- hurricane harvey so we just we just knew that all the stars were aligned you know uh this was this was it we were ready to move and uh and then we were homeless, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had a shed. It just yeah, it just exactly. wasn't a house yet. It just wasn't. It was a house. nice, yeah. It was a nice uh, wooden box in the heat of summer. Oh yeah. Did you even have power yet? No, well, not at, not right away. We oh, we ended up no. getting. Oh no, yeah. no 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Uh uh-uh. uh. Not me, man. It, it, as long as I can plug a window unit air conditioner in, okay, we can talk about it. You want me to live in, like, July in Houston in a box? Uh-uh, brother. You, you're a better man than I am because I ain't – no. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think it was uh, – I was listening to you and um, – oh, my goodness. I can't believe I'm spacing on his name. Uh, Steve. Steve, Stephen Harris. Okay. Um, I think I was listening to some kind of episode and he brought me the idea or y'all brought me the idea because I did have one outlet outside. So okay. I had that probably like two weeks after we got the shell okay. here. And what I did was is I found one location on one end of the house where there was a window that I could fit a window unit in and I tarped from the stairs down and I have it on some kind of video, but basically I was able to quarantine myself into this small area that I could get it cool enough at night to actually sleep. Oh, I got you. So you, you put the tarp inside. You, you made like a, you walled off an area. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. That's that might've been, we were talking about my childhood home because we had a window unit in Pennsylvania and it just, I mean, it wasn't going to cool the whole house. So we just hung up a curtain and just blocked off two rooms. So yeah. Yeah. It worked. It works. It works. It's better than the alternative. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, there's miserable. There's really miserable. And then there's sleeping with sweat in your neck. That's below really miserable. That is like <laughs> just ah. Uh, I, I slept in a jungle a lot. I don't need to ever do it again to to, to count my blessings. You know, if I got, I got it. But I ain't oh, gonna yes. buy a plan. So, what was the you know overall goal? you had in moving into a shed like what does the, the the lifestyle design quotient look like for this well you know the we have four kids we homeschool and really it was um coming up with a um 
something that I want and something that my wife wanted to be able to create this life. And what we've really nailed, you know, uh, came to the conclusion of is that we just want this to be an adventure for our family. We, we just love the country living life. We're going to try to grow as much food as we can, but we're not going to stress about, you know, trying to grow 100% of our food or anything like that. We just love the fact that I, the kids can get rowdy in this house, this small house and we can kick them outside and we're surrounded by woods and it's only seven acres, but we designed it to where it's all trees everywhere. And we have no fear of our kids, like, you know, running out to, you know, into the street. Cause where we came from with suburbia, we had just, you know, busy suburban, you know, uh, roads everywhere. And, uh, so the fact that our kids can just go play and be wild, sorry about that if you heard that ding, uh, that our kids can just have all the fun and be wild here. And so that's the number one thing. Um, and you say it all the time is just TikTok, TikTok. Um, we knew that our kids being young, that they would only not hate us if we did it right now when they were young. Okay. That's so if a, we try that's to do an interesting way that. to look at it. They would only not hate us. I, I got you. <laughs> if we if we tried this whenever they were teenagers, oh, yeah. uh, I don't think they would ever forgive us. Well, they might eventually, but you would have a difficult transition to say the least. Like now, I think the converse is that growing up this way, they will not be able to see themselves growing up any other way. Like if yep. you grow up like this. The idea of like moving into a suburb in the middle of a city and it, it just when you if you grow up and you professionally need to live that way, I think that transition is more difficult than the transition the other way. I know it was for me coming from you know rural Pennsylvania, spending time in the military because that's a totally different world than coming back and then like to find my life moving to Dallas Fort Worth, you know a. a I think Dallas-Fort Worth is hard for people that haven't been here to even understand what that means. Like, it's it's not like a regular city. It's like like 30 cities crappled together, 6 million freaking people, and all of a sudden you're like, why, why are there people everywhere, and why are they looking at me, and, and why can't I find a place where there's no, no people? Like, so I think your kids are going to, like, really appreciate what you did, but I think you're right. It's much easier to do now. Now it's fun and it's an adventure and whatever, and it's not, I hate you and you ruined my life and I can't go to my party with Tom. You know? <laughs> yep. This exactly. is the most important party in the whole world. Okay. <laughs> you're still going to, they're going to grow up and you're still going to deal with that though. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh yeah. Um, what is the biggest mistake you see people making doing shed conversions, because now you have this group with 60-plus thousand people in it, like, you see a lot of what people are doing. So I've noticed that it's way easier to look at somebody else and go, uh, dude, no, don't do that, than it is to see it when you're the one doing it. Yeah, we – my wife was was very wise in saying, hey, let's not get over in over our heads. Let's get out of our – uh, you know, our parents' house and let's just have a livable structure that has running water and electrical that everything is all set up and we're not going to burn the house down or flood it. So in this group, that is the biggest thing that I see is people moving from wherever they are, you know, maybe they built a birdhouse or something and they think that they're going to do all of the rough plumbing 
and all the electrical themselves, and they've never touched any of those things before. And it is really, really terrifying whenever you see someone that you can just tell they have no idea what they're doing. Um, and so that's, that's the biggest mistake that I see over in the group is that if you do, if you've never done this before, try to find a buddy or someone who, who has done it. Or I would, I would recommend getting a licensed contractor to at least do all of your rough plumbing and your electrical. And if they want to be able to, if you pay them a little extra to teach you something, then that's great. But, uh, there's, once you end up having, especially if you go spray foam insulation, like once you, once you seal up those walls, you're, it's done. So you really want to be able to make sure that all of the basics, all that, I, it's funny I say foundation, but at least the, the foundation of your electrical and your plumbing done yeah. correctly. You know, here's how I look at this. Conduit's cheap. If you mm -hmm. think you might ever want something somewhere, run some conduit. Just put it in. Leave an access point. Put a pull string in it. Put it in. Because, like you say, once you, especially like spray foam, it, it's not easy to add something once the walls go up. So, yeah, I mean, just put some extra pathways in. That's something like, when we did, I used to do cabling work and, you know, like large scale, 5,000 employee cabled offices. And we always, when it came to uh, putting pathways and spaces in, Always overbuild it. Always overbuild it. And like it was a significant expense in a job that size. It's 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 less than one percent of the the job in a job your size to put in some extra places that you could add things in the future. That's just my opinion. Oh yeah, and and put in uh, I don't I mean put in way more outlets, plugs, and oh, lights yeah. than you ever. I mean, for I, anything, I've messed up for yeah. any any house, any building, any shop, anything. Just put yeah. Every put put twice the number of outlets and they're all quad boxes. I mean, <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you mentioned kind of like your impromptu tarped window unit. Let's cool this place so we don't die. Solution while you were getting it built. Now that it's built, um, what does your heating cooling solution look like now? You bet. Yeah. So we. Uh, use Mr. Cool mini splits. Have you seen those? Yeah. Uh, they're awesome. They really are really great. They, they heat like a champ. They're, they're all electrical. Um, you know, cause I, I came from, you know, having gas heat. So that's the only downside, but it's all electrical and it's, it's okay. And, and we, we're not off grid or anything. I, I think that would be fun at some point, but I wanted to keep my marriage oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and oh, I wanted to live here. Uh, so, so they're great. So what I have is I have, because my house is 16 by 48. So it's, it's really long and, uh, compared to wide. So these units will only, the, the lines will only go 50 feet, I think. And so because we needed to go up to the loft, we didn't have enough to just to have one, uh, unit. So, uh, we have two, it's called 18 and, I know I knew enough to be able to size this, and then I hired this out uh, because you had to get uh, an HVAC, you know, licensed guy to be able to charge the lines. Mm -hmm. And so I have two 18k units on each of the of the 16 foot wide sides. Okay. And then what that does is that puts me uh, ahead in my bedroom, 
in and in each loft. Those are 9K units. And then I have one bigger 12K head that is in the living space and kitchen. And and man, we we can get warm and toasty in the winter and in the summer it has to run pretty pretty good but but at the same time you know i i remember in our suburban home if you have people over uh in in houston and you're cooking something man it's hot in summer anyway yeah yeah houston is like walking around with a garbage bag on in the summer it just yeah it, you do you feel like why why am i wearing a garbage bag oh i'm not it's a t-shirt i forgot like <laughs> new orleans is the same way it's like i yeah You know, because when people, when you talk about air conditioning down here, people are like, well, what did people do before they had air conditioning? They didn't live here. Look at the population of the South prior to uh, uh, Dr. Carrier inventing the the air conditioner, which, by the way, I think there should be a Dr. William Carrier day. I think that yeah, that should be exactly. a federal holiday. I, no, I do. If kids should be off, no sales tax in the stores, like all the, roll everything out and let's celebrate one of the greatest inventions of mankind. Um, cool though. I, I I've wondered how well those things work. I've heard good things about them, but uh, I think it's definitely the most economical from a standpoint of going in and long term. If you, especially if you don't want to be going hack holes in the wall, right? Because like some of the window units have gotten really efficient. But you know, I had a place in in Pennsylvania where you know the reason it was there is the guy that lived there before me did it, but they cut a hole in the wall and shoved an air conditioner through it. And wow. it doesn't look real good, you know. I could be wrong. I was glad it was there, but you know, I wouldn't have done it. So they lo they look really good, and you know, they're what was the, you know what was the if you don't mind the bill on that to to get that all in installed. Uh, so well, I, I uh, I actually got the units. I got the whole thing sponsored. So oh, shit. I, I, yeah, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, uh, you know, I, I definitely, I'll tell you a story here a little bit, uh, about, you know, about, uh, I think David Siegler once said something to me at that, uh, your, the second workshop that I was at. Uh, so I've definitely been able to, uh, monetize my life. So the, the actual AC was sponsored and I think the install on it was about 1500. Okay. Uh, so it might, and if you got a better, I don't know. I'm I going off the top of my head and looking at Home Depot, and I'm thinking what you described is probably about a four to six thousand dollar system. So yeah. you know, you're yeah, at seven grand to basically have the equivalence of central air and heat. If you look at what it costs to put in central air and heat, that's a good deal. That, man, exactly. I, I'll leave it at that. And and that's professional yeah. and you, installation and all, which I agree, you got to do that. Yeah, and you can't uh, like that's the thing about central air and heat is in order to get uh, ducts installed you basically we would have to have given up a whole loft to be able to to do that so it really just cut into it and these guys it's like having these really pretty uh window units all over the place they're not that they're not ugly um and and they do such a good job so it was it was a no-brainer once i found out about them got you man so um How has this entire like giant adventure, I think that's the word you use, affected your family, your marriage, your relationship with your kids? What what's been what's that been like over like let's say the last year? Jack, it's it's just been amazing. I, I there's there's no other way to say it. Like I cannot explain I, I can't express how many times my kids um have like I put them in the bed and they just say, Dad, 
thank you for making all of this possible. <laughs> it's it's really cool. Um, like, uh, you know, my wife tells me stories whenever, you know, if I'm out doing something, that they just tell stories of like, yeah, you remember whenever dad did this? Remember whenever we didn't, we, we couldn't go outside and, you know, uh, shoot rockets out in our backyard because we didn't have much of a backyard. Um, and the fact that I'm able to live here and not have a nine to five job, I'm able to see my kids every single morning. I'm able to put them to bed every single night. Um, you know, I know that you've, you've experienced that whenever you were on the road of like how, just how awesome it is to be able to work from home and provide for your family all at the same time. Awesome, man. I mean, definitely if you get your kids telling you, thank you for the way we live before they go to bed. That goes in the dad win column. I tell you, mm -hmm. a parent win column, to be fair, but as a dad, you know, I can speak as a dad. I can't speak as a mom because that's actually a thing, whether people want to accept it or not. Um, I don't know what it's like to be a mom, and I can't. I know what it's like to be a dad. That goes in the win column for sure. Um, how have you been able to fund this? I mean, you've kind of mentioned that you've been able to, in some ways, monetize your life. I think that's a valid skill that people need to learn. For sure, yeah. So that was so the story was, uh, you know, your buddy uh, Davis Siegler. It was at the the second workshop at your place that I was at, and it was during one of the five minute talks. Uh, I forgot what is it. What are those things called? I forgot what it is. Where you basically Tell get your up for five in five minutes or less. Perfect. Yeah. And so uh, I was super honored that one that David even knew my name at that time. Uh, and that he kind of followed our, our little adventure that what we were doing. And he introduced me and he said, everybody listen, because uh, you're going to want to learn this. Bo has found a way to monetize his life. And that was just a really cool thing to hear that. And I never really thought about it. But but it, this was part of me using this learning computer between my ears of how can I afford to do this. And we found a way to get all of our lights, our water heater our uh, mini split heat and AC units and part of our flooring paid for. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty badass, man. <laughs> it's, I mean, uh, I, I'm very grateful for it. And then with that, uh, just taking the principles of permaculture and what, what you and, you know, Nick Ferguson teach about function stacking. And so not only was I able to do that, then I said, well, if I'm going to be doing all this work, I'm definitely going to be putting it on YouTube to where, you know, I get a little bit of, you know, monetization from the Google AdSense platform and then function stack even further and take those videos and then put them back into my Facebook group, which I do have sponsors over there. Um, so it's really just kind of the full circle loop of kind of just making this shed to house adventure work for me, you know, all around. Awesome, man. See, and you know, I know there's people that when you when you say that, they're like, well, not everybody can do that. Look, you're right. Not everybody can do it. But the fact that not everybody can do it is not why you're not doing it. The person that comes up with that objection, that's kind of, I feel like, that, there's. it's not like so many people are doing things like this right now that the reason you can't do it is there's no room left. If we ever get to like a market saturation point where companies no longer see value in individuals demonstrating their products and, you know, using user-generated content to sell things, if we ever get there to where so much of it, no companies want to do it anymore, then you can use that excuse. Until then, it's up to you whether you want to take that approach or take a different approach. Do you have any other, like, 
revenue streams that you're like, are you still producing video for people independently or like, or are you doing a hundred percent off of like lifestyle income now? Well, so yeah, that's a, it's a very good question. Uh, we don't have to go into deep, but so we also run a doTERRA essential oil company that, that, that provides the bulk of our income, okay. uh, in terms of just being able to pay for all of our basic monthly bills. And then all of the YouTube shed to house and me doing uh side hustle video production stuff, all of that basically is helping to save for our $9,000 dream pond. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha, man. That's, that's really cool. Um, so what you kind of mentioned one right there. What are your future plans here? Where are you going next with this? I, you, yeah. So, man, we just want to homestead. Um, I, I love the whole shed to house movement and everything, but it was never the end goal. It always was the vehicle to be able to get us on our property and trying to grow our own food. Uh, and to be able to continue to, you know, homeschool our kids. Uh, so, so right now it's, it's really cool. We have, we just now got probably, you know, three weeks ago, our first set of, uh, we have three red wattle pigs that we're growing out. Uh, we have chickens and then we also raise rabbits. So that's, uh, just trying to figure out how to, how to, uh, grow some meat. And then eventually we want to be able to, oh no, I also have, uh, two, 2,500 gallon water tanks that are actually going to be going in next week. So we're going to be able to do some rainwater harvesting. Uh, I'm really excited about trying to do, I think the guy, his name is Brad Lancaster. He's the guy who cut the birds oh, yeah. out in Arizona. He's amazing. Yeah. He's, he's like one of my like anarchist heroes. I don't even know if he knows yeah. he's an anarchist, but when you go around cutting city infrastructure uh, for the betterment of mankind without a permit, you are an anarchist. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Uh, I don't know. So he has a book, uh, Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands and Beyond, and that's that really is a lot of what my property is. It's super dry here. I don't know why, uh, but I, I so I kind of want to figure out how to do a lot of the things that like you know that you Jeff Lawton are doing for permaculture, but a little. I mean, this this what Brad does is is really cool. A little bit different. Um, so, uh, trying to figure out how to get some, some orchards and nut trees, um, uh, uh, that way to where he kind of does it, uh, back out in Arizona. It's just really neat what he does. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's always great to bring somebody whose conditions are worse than yours to help you with your conditions. Mm-hmm. Like, I, cause I, I do mock the, not, I love what you're doing, but like the people that, the people that are shoving like eight people into a hundred square feet, I I do mock them, and I will continue to do so. But the people that are actually really good at building efficiency into a couple hundred square feet, that's who you want to come organize your twenty five hundred square foot house. Because imagine what they could do. So you say you're dry. You ain't Arizona dry, buddy. Let me tell you. And so bringing him in, you know, you've got somebody that like understands how to make use of every single drop and you need to make use of maybe 70% of every single drop. And so that's awesome. And that's, that's really a great way to go. And I think just, he's a cool dude, man. I, I, when you talk to him, I'd love to have him on my show. I think that he's, uh, he's actually been in a couple of presentations I've, I've given. He's just an amazing guy. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to, I'll, I'll have to see if, I don't know. I'd love for him to be on your show. He's, he's really cool. I like him. So, hey, man, um, you want to tell people how they can, like, get more information on what you're doing, find all your cool stuff? You bet, yeah. You know, we've mentioned it several times is the Shed to House Facebook group, just Shed to House. 
that's a there's that's where you find a lot about you know everything that we're doing here and then you'll get to see you know 60 plus thousand people doing some of the same stuff and then uh definitely over on youtube better together life that's our youtube channel is better together life Awesome, man. Well, hey, you know what, Bo? I really appreciate you being with us today. It's been a great interview. Uh, I've loved watching you guys develop what you're doing. I've loved seeing your success. Uh, it's always great to see people from this community do things like that and prove that, like, you can actually do this if you set your mind to it. And I'm, I, 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 it really is one of those things that you look at and you, and I think it's part of why you're successful. You just feel good seeing a family live the way that you guys are living and actually obtain the freedom so many people dream about. And not only have it, but also prove it can be done. Because you guys aren't like, you know, you're not a trust fund baby or something like that that just had like a couple million bucks laying aside to do this with. You went out and figured out how to get it done. So, man, kudos on that, and thanks for being with us today. You bet, Jack. Thank you. And, hey, I'm going to see you at the fall workshop this year. I'm not going to miss it again. All right. I'm glad you're <laughs> going to be here, man. You should come on up to uh, Belton. Uh, I'm going to yes. be speaking at Mother Earth News Fair, man. Come on up and, and hang out. We're, we are going to be there. I'll definitely stop by and say hi. All right, man. Well, again, thanks for being with us today, Bo. All right. See ya. Bye. So I, I can tell you, I've, I've met this guy a couple times. He's a really good dude. He's genuine, right? And I, I generally expect that my guests are genuine uh, in how they present themselves, but I don't always know. I just assume or, you know, based on how they interact with us, I, I get a pretty good feeling for it. Uh, again, Bo, I've met a couple times, and I've interacted with a lot over the years. He is 100% the man you just heard on the air, and I really recommend you check out his Facebook group, check out his YouTube channel, his website, etc. Genuine, really good guy doing really good things, and a great example of what can be done if you really want to. With that, let me remind you guys that if you like this show and you want to support the work we do, one of the ways to do that is do your online shopping where? tspaz.com. How could you ever forget tspaz? It's like the easiest thing to remember. tspaz.com. tspaz.com. Go there. Do your online shopping through tspaz.com. You'll help us no matter what you eventually buy. You'll find, uh, though, my items of the day reviews and every review I've ever done of every item. And if you see it there, it's not because I saw it and thought, hey, I think I can sell this. It's because I bought it, I used it, spent my money on it, was pleased with it, and if I needed it again, I would buy it again. Today's item of the day is something that I buy again frequently because uh, even though they are designed to be reused, they do eventually get used up. And uh, I, I just won't be without them in my vehicle. I won't be without them in my boat kit. I won't be without them in my bug-out bag. I won't be without them on my homestead. They are monoprice releasable cable ties. I come from a background in computer cabling. That's kind of where I really came up in the telecom world. At least that's where I started. And so I have kind of a, a, an affinity for zip ties, right, because that's a big part of the cabling industry. But one thing I can tell you about zip ties is they actually end up being more expensive than you expect on a big job or something like we were talking about today. Um, and, and But they're kind of an essential for so many things, and they are so utilitarian. They do so many things well. Well, you know what's better than a zip tie? A zip tie with a release button. That's what these are. You can get a 100 of them for about 8 bucks. You put it on something, and you go, I don't want it on there anymore. You push a button, and you open it. I mean, I don't know why they don't just make them all that way. Actually, I do. They don't make them all that way because manufacturers want to sell more of them. That's why. But I use these things so flippin' much. If you need two things held together, uh, it, you know, if, if duct tape, tarred bank line, or zip ties won't do it, you probably need to get the welder out. 
I'll put it to you that way. And I've seen some things with zip ties that maybe shouldn't have been done. Uh, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I was in a pickup truck one time with a friend. Uh, we were borrowing from another friend, and he had zip-tied a tie rod back together. If you don't know what that means, let's just say it's not something you want to fail while you're doing 60 miles an hour going around a turn, but it held. I, the other friend almost killed the first friend for not telling us about it, but uh, if it'll do that, it'll do a lot of other things that are a hell of a lot safer to do, uh, and to be able to reuse them. It's just awesome. I use them for wire management, which is what they're really kind of made for. I use them for so many things around the homestead, including just zip-tying some cattle panels together to make movable uh, temporary fencing. Uh, there's so many things we use these for. I, I, I could do probably an episode called you know, 50 Uses for a Cable Tie, but we're not going to. Just going to recommend that you consider adding them to your kit. Check them out. You can find them at TSPAS or just go to the survivalpodcast.com. Click on, or no, just, just start scrolling down. You'll see the most current stuff, including today's item of the day, monoprice releasable cable ties. If I made a list of the top ten things on my homestead, I guarantee you it would not only make the list, it would be in the top five. That's how utilitarian they are. All right, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Again, we're doing kind of rush week to honor the passing of Neil Peart, uh, one of the most talented musicians, definitely most talented drummers in the world has ever seen. Uh, also a very gifted writer. Uh, Neil Peart, I don't know if he wrote every Rush song, but I know he wrote the vast majority of songs for Rush. I think that I think that he wrote like almost everything they ever released. Anyway, he wrote today's song, which was released in 1985, called Manhattan Project. And unless you know nothing of history, you can probably guess it's about nuclear war. But it is specifically about the bombs that were the result of the Manhattan Project dropped in Japan. And while the, term, while the title's Manhattan Project, it's never used in the lyrics. It's never once used in the lyrics. But Enola Gay is, which, of course, is the plane that dropped the, the first atomic bomb. So we know that this is not, you know, taking the Manhattan Project and calling on some future hypothetical war. That We're actually talking about what actually happened because of that anchoring into history with the lyrics there. Um, rather than comment on the artistic components of the song, I want to talk about just a little bit about the somber reality of nuclear war and the decision to drop two bombs in, uh, in Japan. And it is very easy to look back today and say we shouldn't have done it. And I've had some people kind of call me on it and say, hey, well, what would you have done if you were Harry Truman? And the answer is, I don't know that I can give you an answer to what I would have done. I would like to tell you what I think I would have done, but I don't know. Because I grew up in the 70s and 80s, I watched the day after miniseries as a kid and went to school the next day and all and myself and all my friends were terrified it was going to happen. I grew up with drills in school where we hid under our desk and covered our heads because duck and cover was what's going to save us from a nuclear war if it ever happens. I served in the United States Army when the Cold War was still a thing. I was shaped by all of that. And then I saw all of it fall apart. And then I've seen it sort of reconstitute itself back together where we actually pay attention to the concept that, you know, we could start lobbing the, the luff balloons at each other again. And I live in a world today that is vastly different than the one that our grandparents lived in and our great-grandparents lived in when they fought and dealt with the consequences of World War II. So whether I think it is 
good, bad, indifferent that those bombs were dropped in Japan. Those two, you know, the only two nuclear bombs to ever be dropped on human beings in conflict ever, and hopefully they will be the only ones ever happens. Whether or not I would have done it, I don't know. Sort of. Because here's what I don't know. I don't know if I had been Harry Truman at a time when the vice president was kind of seen as just kind of being there in case, and no one really ever expected that the vice president would be the president. You know, it was if, unless somebody assassinated the president, it wasn't going to happen. That's how people pretty much thought of the VP at the time. Um, had I been there, and all of a sudden I'm being sworn in by my father in some little farmhouse, which is how Harry Truman was sworn in, and next thing I know, I'm completely in control of the United States military's commander-in-chief. And again, at that time, the vice president didn't get linked into a lot of things. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know we had a nuclear bomb in the works. Didn't know. Found out about it. He also had admirals and generals saying, okay, we're going to beat Japan. They're on their last legs. But here's how many people are going to die on our side. I'm not sitting there with hundreds of thousands of Americans already dead, tens if not 100,000 more to die, a nation five years into war a nation that is growing weary of war with a belief that this nation, if not defeated, will remain a threat to us, whether it would or not. That's the belief. So I don't know if I would have dropped the first bomb. I don't know. And I can't know. There's no way for me to honestly say that I know. I know the right thing to say is, no, I wouldn't. I would have figured another way. But I don't know what I would have done. I can say this, though. One was enough to make the point. I would not have dropped the second one. That's as good as I can do through the lens of history. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.